Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Great to see all of you here today. We are going to turn in our Bibles today back to the Psalms. We're in Psalm 32 today. Psalm 32. And we invite you to turn there, punch it up on the screen, put it on the whatever the, uh, 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 the, yeah, the tablet thing. Open your Bible. Uh, look on the screen, whatever. We, you, you, you got, we got it everywhere. God is so, so good. We sing that song quite often, but I want us to take a look today at why He is so, so good. Psalm 32, we'll read all 11 verses. How blessed is He whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. It's not on your record. We, we looked. It wasn't there. A few times in our lives, probably all of us thought we owed a bill and found out it was already paid. Most of the time, we thought it was already paid. And we still owed it. Right? And, and when that happens and you tell them that, they look at you like, oh yeah. I always hate it when there's a glitch, you know, and your debit card doesn't work. And you go, I, well, I know there's money in there. And they're like, mm-hmm. Well, it ain't on here. Oh, he doesn't impute iniquity on our record. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. And through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of heat of summer. Selah, he says. We just think it's some kind of musical notation. I acknowledge my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. This is David talking. And you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall or will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with 
my eye upon you. Do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusteth in the Lord, loving kindness, there's our word. Hesed, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Your are you righteous ones and shout for joy all you who are upright in heart. Last week we heard from King David's choir director. His name is Asaph, and we looked at Psalm 73, and and it was pretty tough. Asaph was at that point that we often get, especially those who are in full-time ministry, where you just get really kind of washed out and, and, and you just wonder what in the world is going to happen next. And, and now I, I think it's not just pastors, uh, and it's never been, but I think now more than ever, just Christians, you, you have to look at the news and just shake your head. You, you just, it's like, what in the world is going to happen next? Sometimes you just look at the news out of curiosity to wonder what in, in, in the world have they come up with this time. And, and so we looked at some of that. And Asaph said, my foot nearly slipped last week. He's a choir director, and he said, look, I, 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 I'll just tell you, when I saw the wicked prosper, and I saw people who were righteous that were in need, and, and when I saw people that looked like they could get away with everything and anything and and nobody seemed to have anything to say about it. And God seems like He was blessing the unrighteous and cursing the righteous. And, and, and it just didn't make sense. It just didn't seem right to Asaph. But in the middle of that psalm, if you remember, he said, it, nothing made sense to me until I went into the sanctuary of God. And I want to tie the two psalms together with that because sanctuary, first of all, signifies separation. When we come into the presence of God, we call this the sanctuary. I assure you it's nothing but block and mortar and metal and wire and all of that until the presence of God comes in. And then it could be someone's living room, it could be outside, it could be down by the river, or it could be in this nice building here. It doesn't matter. It's God's presence that makes it God's house. And so he says, when I came away from the world, when I shut off Fox News and, and I, I shut off all of the outside distractions and I pulled away from the world and I went into the sanctuary of God, I found separation. Another thing you find in the sanctuary of God is safety. It's a, he said, it wasn't until I pulled away from the fears I had of the world and all of the wickedness that I was seeing. And he listed it for us last week. He was so transparent. He blessed us so with just opening up his heart and saying, I see things that I do not 
understand. But he said, when I went into the sanctuary of God, and I began to see God for who he was, and when God became my focus instead of the world around me, and when I quit comparing me to my enemies and compared God to my enemies, when I quit saying I look like a grasshopper in the sight of my enemies and started saying they look like grasshoppers in the sight of my God, he said, man, everything began to come together and make sense. Matter of fact, he said in verse 22 last week, he said, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He's talking to God. God, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast. There is, um, I shared it this week with the staff for just a devotion we had together before we prayed this week. And it, 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 there's, it's cool to watch these videos because it so rarely happens. But there's one that I've seen a couple of times, and, and it looks verifiable, but there's a vet who finds an elephant. Uh, I think it's an Indian elephant, but finds this elephant out in the wild, and the elephant has so many sores on him, he, he's getting to where he can't even move, and just abscesses. I mean, huge. I don't want to gross you out, but they're just uh, incredible. And he's got one that's so bad on his leg, it's, he's gotten to where he can't move. Now here is a wild beast that could just kill you with one blow, but this elephant is in such bad shape. It allows this vet to come to him and give him aid. And when it's all said and done, it's incredible. It really looks like the elephant is trying to thank this lady vet who came and was willing to give aid to him. Tears actually came out of his eyes. And then he began to meander off into the wilderness. Now, that's pretty cool because it doesn't happen a lot. I know we tell stories about someone pulling a thorn from the paw of a lion. I, if, if, if you get offered that job, I'd ask about it insurance, okay? Because I can just tell you, it's not going to happen a lot. And when we get to that point where we're like a brute beast, we can see animals sometimes that Man, they're in trouble, but we just cannot help them. We've seen videos where people find deer that their antlers are hung together or, or whatever. It's rare that you can help them because they're such wild beasts and they're so irrational. And then they're in pain on top of that. And then they're afraid on top of that. You really can't help them. It just takes a miracle to do anything for them. And if you're not really careful, you'll wind up being hurt worse than they are and sometimes they just have to be left alone to die Asaph said God that's exactly how I was nobody could help me I hurt so badly I was in such a rage people were afraid to get near me God I was like a brute beast even before you God you couldn't even make sense to me because I was just so angry and I I was just so upset and I was hurting so badly but it came forth like I was a raging beast but inside I was dying and no one but God could help me. Well, 
I'd say David's been there a time or two, and then he writes this psalm. This one occurs after his sin with Bathsheba. He is in the sanctuary of God, whether physically, especially spiritually, he has found sanctuary with God. And after this sin, he gives us 11 incredible statements about God. Let's look at each of them quickly. First of all, God is so good because of his forgiveness. Verse 1, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Yeah, but, well, I hadn't made the car payment yet. I can tell you that doesn't matter. I mean, it may matter to you some and to the bank a lot, but I can tell you it doesn't compare with having your sins forgiven. It doesn't compare with having your sins forgiven. Whose sin is covered. As a matter of fact, he opens up here with two Beatitudes. Did you notice that? How blessed is he? And then verse 2, how blessed is he? We get two of them. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that if you look at the book of Psalms, the very first psalm opens with, Blessed is he who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. That is a beatitude that we find, just like the ones we find in Matthew chapter 5. We find them all through Scripture. The Psalms opens with one. Blessed is he who makes the right decision, sits in the right place, and keeps his behavior clean. But I love this one because this is the one for the guy that didn't do so well. This is for the one where the guy wound up in the seat with the scorners and could find something wrong with everything that he saw. This is the one for the guy that did stand in the way of sinners. And this is the one who listened to the counsel of the ungodly. This is the one whose sin has to be forgiven. Man, that's an awesome word. The word he uses here for transgression is uh, peshan, and it's a word that means you you trespassed. You went somewhere that it was not permissible for you to go. And I, I can just tell you, when you do that, you've stepped across the line, and, 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 and that doesn't work. Sometimes it's almost like you find yourself... Uh, in a place where you're not supposed to be. And, and, and boy, sometimes it may surprise us somewhat. Sometimes it's carelessness. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes I think we know that the path we're going down is wrong. It's never worked out before, has it? Has it ever enriched your life before? Has making these decisions that have nearly killed you so far, has it ever almost worked out for you? Of course not. That's when we have to be forgiven. Blessed is he whose sin, and he calls it that. He doesn't say blessed is he whose unspecified childhood issues are reconciled. Or blessed is he whose denial and faulty coping techniques uh, are off a little bit. No, he says this is sin. 
It's just plain old sin. Can't blame it on anybody else. The only thing you can do for sin is to have God forgive it because that's it. You messed up. You went somewhere. You had no business going. And now what you need more than ever is to be forgiven. Matter of fact, the word here is plural. Trespass is. Well, I know in my life it's plural. Man alive. I fail God, and I can just tell you now, the closer I get to him, I don't think I fail him more and more because my behavior changes. I just figure out that, oh, you know what? That was failing God too. You start out, you know, when you first get saved. My first week of being a Christian, I didn't kill anybody, and I claimed victory. Okay. I claim victory in that. I, I've, I've grown since then. There are a lot of things in my life I realized, Mike, that was nothing but pride. Why would you say something like that? You are venting some frustration inside of you. It did not help them, and it did not help you. It's a sin, Mike, confess it. His forgiveness. Secondly, his pardon sounded like the same thing. It's a little different. Verse 2, how blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. He does not count that against us. He does not record that against us. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. When we talk about being 100% righteous in the eyes of God, please don't take that to mean that everything you see us do is righteous. Please don't think that. And please don't think that we're saying that every day of our life, all we ever do is righteous stuff now that, that, that we've been given the righteousness of God as a gift. No, it's been imputed to us that we are righteous. He has considered us righteous. In the eyes of God, we are righteous, but we still fail God. And we'll always fail God until He finally calls us out of these sin-sick bodies and we are glorified and with Him forever. And then we will be free from sin completely. But I can tell you, I am a hundred percent righteous before God. But don't mistake that is that, well, everything I do now is righteous. Oh, no. Oh, no. When people start talking about sinless perfection, oh, that's a big thing. The ratification of the sin nature. Boy, you walk with the Lord, you don't sin. There's your first one right there, lying. Ask God to forgive you. Going to need some help with that. You don't think you're lying there? Well, there's your second one, pride. Just keep going. You're digging a hole. It just keeps happening. He does not, though, count those things against us. You know, sin leads to one of two places. It either leads to light when we ask God to forgive us and truth and confession of our sin it can either lead us there or it leads us to obscurity or deceit or or complicated explanations or maybe like 
Adam, we begin to blame other people. Sin can always lead us in one of two directions. We can either find the joy of having our sins forgiven and have the joy of the salvation of God return to us, or we can just keep making up excuses, representing ourselves in the court of justice before God. And I can tell you, you definitely have a fool for a client when you do that. He says, and in whose spirit there is no disease. Remyah is a word in the Hebrew for deceit or deception. This would be the person who says, okay, now I'm forgiven. Let's go back and do it again. I'm just telling you, we may not verbalize it that way, but there are people that they come to church and, boy, ask for forgiveness. And the harder preacher Mike preaches, oh, Lord, the better, the sweeter the forgiveness. Is it not? I mean, boy, he stepped on my toes. Woo, today I got to get me some steel-toed glory shoes. Amen. And you just let me beat the living tar out of you because you know what you're going to do. You're going to go right back out there. You are going to hang out with the same people, drink the same stuff, take the same poison. You're going to live your life the same way you always have because you kind of got a sin management program going where you come, ask for forgiveness, feel better about yourself go back out into the world you're going to need it again next week that is not that is not forgiveness that's deceit he says if you want to be truly forgiven you're going to have to first of all quit being so deceptive stop lying to yourself and then lying to others Number three, God is so good because of his healing. He says, when I kept solid about my sin, my body wasted away. And through my groaning all day long. Man, when I kept quiet about my sin, my sin didn't keep quiet inside of me. I felt horrible about it. You know, one of the questions we could ask our world today, whatever happened to guilt? Whatever happened to <coughs> feeling contrite or broken? about things we do. We have so justified so many things in our world. I, I, I used to kind of joke about it, but I, I'm telling you, it's less and less funny. We're running out of sins. We just about don't have any. There are some people in our world, I think the only thing they recognize is sin is intolerance. If you look at anybody and call whatever they're doing wrong and you don't fully accept them or, or whatever, then man, and that to them is also in the in, inversion of that is that salvation. If you just love everybody, you just take, you know, the mercy on everybody and care about everybody, that'll get you to heaven and, and being intolerant will send you to hell. And other than that, there's just not much left. Whatever happened to the the to guilt? We have we have so uh, consoled ourselves, and we have really worked hard to treat the guilt in our culture, and even in our churches. A lot of times, we treat the guilt because we know this: that if we can manage the guilt and live with the guilt, then the sin 
won't be a problem. And if you're one of those pastors that you just have to be liked and loved by everybody, you'll preach that kind of gospel. And that's a lie. That's a lie. Man, people come sometimes to me and they say, I'm having trouble with guilt. And and I understand that can be a problem. Satan can just heap that upon us and just drive us in the dirt with it. But we do have to deal with, okay, why do you feel guilty? Why are you you feeling uh, this way? If you got a bag full of money from First Union Bank, I know they're not in business anymore. Probably why you took their money. But... And you're sitting there with a gun and a mask on in my office, and you go, I'm just having trouble today, Pastor, with guilt. I'm thinking you got a good reason. I'm thinking you have a really good reason. And a lot of times in our churches, we have learned so well how to help people deal with the guilt. Well, you, you had an affair, but lots of people do that. And, or you're addicted to, to pornography or some drug or alcohol or whatever. We all have our problems. We, we all have our issues. I, I understand that. And we do all have our issues. But it is so unfair to you if you come and, and you need help with sin for me to just make you feel better about the sin. Boy, that's such an injustice to you. I thought about it like this, and I know my thinking's kind of weird sometimes, but what if you were about to go to prison for 10 years and you had two choices? One was to sit down with somebody that could tell you that prison is really not all that bad. A lot of people go. We got two million already waiting on you when you get there. And by the way, you could get out for good behavior. Would you want to sit down with that person if that was their solution? Or what if you could sit down with someone that if you followed their advice, you wouldn't have to go at all? I think I know which one I want to sit down with. So do you want to come hear a preacher tell you you can just keep sinning? And living in that solitary confinement? Or would you like to hear a sermon about how you don't even have to go there at all? That God can give you power over that and you can overcome it and be forgiven and cleansed forever. Hallelujah. We have both kinds of churches. Their doors are open this morning. Which one do you want to go to? Number four, his correction. Verse four, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of the heat of summer. Your hand was heavy on me, God. Sort of like Charles Haddon Spurgeon said one time, God does not permit his children to sin successfully. He'll help you do a lot of things, but sinning is not one of them. I'm I'm always amazed when somebody comes to me and says, well, God told me I need to divorce my spouse. I'm like, wow, really? Tell me more about that. I'd like like to hear that. How did he tell you? Well, God put this person in my life. Now we're living together, and we know the Lord put us together. Hallelujah, preacher. I finally found somebody. It's so foolish. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just telling you, don't 
drag God in on your sin plan. He's not going to help you sin successfully. His hand will be heavy on you because He loves you. I I know I've used this illustration so many times, but it fits so well. When I burned my eyes years ago welding, and I went to the ER, and the doctor put the drops in my eyes, and instantly, instantly, after a blast of fire, boy, I'm telling you, but after a blast of heat and fire and more pain than I'd felt all night, the pain was gone. I said, all righty. Told the doctor before. He was still standing there. Hadn't walked off. I said, I want a bottle of that in my toolbox tomorrow. He said, no. Can't give you this. He said, this stuff is so powerful. He said, we never prescribe it because if you got a piece of metal in your eye and put this in it, you could destroy your whole eyeball and you would never feel it. You could absolutely go blind. Destroy the entire thing. And you would never feel it. That pain that you feel lets you know that there is a problem. And I want to tell you, God loves us sometimes enough to give us a spanking. As a matter of fact, He says, those that I do not rebuke and chasten, He said, I can tell you, they are illegitimate. They are not really my children. Not really my child. Who hasn't gone home from church sometime and said, boy, if that youngin' had been mine, <laughs> it wasn't yours. That's the sad part. If it was yours, yeah, you'd have probably beat it half to death. But it wasn't yours. You don't have authority over it. There are people in this world that, sure, they tell you quickly, I, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. Nobody's going to tell me how to do it. I'm going to do whatever it is I like. If preachers or Bible or churches or Baptists or whoever it is don't like it, they just, that's just tough. We completely understand. Totally. God already explained it to us. Number five is faithfulness. He said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. You know, I looked it up this week. It's so cool. If you go where this happened, this is about his sin with Bathsheba. And if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And in the same verse, and Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin, and you shall not die. The key to all of that was when David finally said, I have sinned against God. I've sinned against God. Up until that point, he hasn't used language like that. But when Nathan confronted him, and when Nathan just spoke it plainly to him, at first David didn't even recognize that he was talking about him and Bathsheba. He thought he was talking about someone else. And and David had already proclaimed that this guy's got to die. I can't believe somebody would do something like that. And Nathan looked at him and said, You are the one. David said, I have sinned against God. That's the key to it. Before the verse ends, Nathan says, and the Lord has already forgiven you. There's an English poet, John Donne, who 
writes about sin, he says sin is a serpent. And he who covers sin does but keep it warm, that it may sting the more fiercely and disperse the venom and malignity thereof the more effectively. You know, I've always said if I ever found myself in one of these snake handling churches and had to participate, I want to get the snake early. Okay, I'm going to sit on the front. I don't want him when he's warmed up. I've already been held by 25 people that their temp was 98.6. Well, it was till right after they held the snake. They're assuming room temp now. When you hide sin, you hide a serpent. He just gets warmer and more agile and more vicious and quicker. Man. Number six is availability. Therefore, God is good because let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they will not reach him. I love Philippians 4, 5, I believe it is. It says the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. It would do me no good if he was the creator of the universe and he could forgive sin and he could do all kinds of awesome things even if he, uh, whatever it was that he did. It it doesn't matter how many uh, heavens he's created or any of that if he wasn't available to me and sin separated me from him. But he came and reunited me as I trusted in his death on the cross. The word Paul used was, we have been reconciled to God. And he brought us back together in that relationship. So not only am I happy that God is awesome, how great thou art. Yes, sing it to the top of your lungs. But boy, don't forget that last verse that one of these days he's going to call us home. Man, what joy we'll feel my heart. What joy will fill my heart because I can have a relationship with that awesome God. Number seven, his protection. I love this. Verse seven, you are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. David says, I'm still hiding, but I'm not hiding my sin. Now I'm hiding myself. And I'm hiding in the sanctuary of God. You are my hiding place. Now, just think about that. We we all kind of have that place uh, where we like to just go and we like to just hide. And 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 boy, I don't want to get into it too much, but I, I'll just tell you, I, I, when I'm home, I, I like to be comfortable. So if you knock on the door, give me a minute. You don't want me coming straight to the door. I'm comfortable. And that's all I'm going to say about it. And then when that's my spot. So on the end of the couch, grandkids know Papa's hiding place. Get up, get up, move. What was you doing sitting there to start with? That's his spot. 
And I, and I sit in there and I read and I have my, a little table there for my laptop. And, and man, I can just tell you that's just, whew, I'm, I'm in my zone when I'm in my hiding place. Hiding places can be other things though. Where is it that you find your peace? Is it a lasting peace that you find there? Some people, all they need to do is buy a new dress and have somebody tell them, you look good in that. That's it. They're good for three days. Have you lost weight? Oh. And then you tell everybody, so-and-so asked me today if I lost weight. And then your husband goes, yeah, he's getting glasses tomorrow, he said. And then, of course, your husband, he's getting stitches. <laughs> but I'm just saying, where, where, where's your hiding place? What is it that brings you peace and warmth of soul? Some people, it's rebellion. The way I deal with my sin is just get mad as blue blazes and and, and I just get worse. I just go into a rage, and that keeps people away from me. They know not to mess with me. They know not to bring up my shortcomings. Yeah, I know I got them, but I don't want to deal with them. And, hey, you don't want to deal with them either, so you just back up. It's your little hiding spot. You hide behind your rage. Maybe it's medication, drugs, alcohol, the illegal kind, of course, lust. Lust excuses maybe you can make them better than anybody and you know it the pain of the past whatever it is maybe you've already decided and you, you tell everybody look I was hurt years ago I was raped years ago which is horrible I was molested as a child I was abandoned or I was whatever and anytime something in your life doesn't measure up you're still doing it you've been doing it all your life you make sure those people know that oh 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 don't expect me to actually have it together ever because well, I've been hurt. I have too. But God heal me. Hey, some people I used to hate, I don't hate anymore. Isn't that great? You ever been set free from hating somebody? That'll free up a lot of time. Did you know that? You can start a hobby after that. They're living rent-free in your noggin. But boy, when you set them free... I've been hurt. I had some things done to me. Let God heal you. Let God heal you and make you whole. That's why he is so, so good. Number eight, his guidance. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you I'm watching you he says I got my eye on you he says you will lead me into paths of righteousness for his namesake in Psalm 23 he says I will lead you in those paths myself and then he says with my eye upon you I am watching you I love the story of the storm where Jesus walked to the disciples and I thank goodness that Mark gave us this one little tidbit that I don't think the other writers gave us about that storm. Before Jesus walked out on the ocean to his disciples, it says from wherever Jesus was on the mountain. Now, he was a long ways off, but it says he could see his disciples. 
you, 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 you can do that kind of stuff if you made the mountain, okay? And the sea and the waves and the disciples. Don't get me started, Rich. You, 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 you can do that. It says in Mark six forty eight, he was seeing them straining at the oars. Straining at the oars. Did you know he cared enough about you that sometimes when you're in a storm that you feel like I'm going to die, I'm going to make it. Do you know he sees you? You belong to him. You have a relationship with him. You trust in him. I know it's hard to believe sometimes, but he saw his disciples. And, and here's what's so cool about Jesus. See, I'm like, well, if you saw me, why didn't you stop the storm? Well, I had some other things I was going to do. Why well, walk out there? Just calm the place down, then walk out there. You know what I mean? Well, that's the kind of healing I want. That's what I ask for sometimes. God, just make it go away right now. No. I'm going to let it rage. I mean, <laughs> what kind of God can walk on slick water? I'm going to walk on a raging sea. And maybe some of you might want to do it, and I'm going to invite you out. And, of course, you know the story about Peter. My point is God leads us, and his eye is upon us. Number nine is invitation. And do not be like the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check. Otherwise, they will not come near to you. Verse 8 again, I just had read it, where he says, I will teach you the way. He said, that's what I want to do to you. He says, don't be like the horse and the donkey. Don't have to be tied to behavior. Don't make me have to put a rope around your neck and bind you to what you're supposed to do. Let me teach you the way that you're supposed to be. I'm, I'm going to translate here from the King James. Don't be a jackass. Because when you are, and I, I have to tie you, okay, I forgive you, and your sins are forgiven, and you're washed clean, but you know, unless I tie you directly off to something, you're headed right back to the same place you just left. It's a dumb old animal. That you have to chain off to keep him from messing something up. God says, that's not the kind of relationship I want with you. He told his disciples in John 15, 15, No longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things I have heard from my father. I have made known to you. I don't have to keep a log chain around your neck to keep you with me. You follow me. My sheep, John 10, 27, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You don't drive sheep. They follow you. They follow the shepherd. Man.
Number 10, his mercy. Many are the sorrows, he said, of the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Loving kindness, if you follow the Lord. Sometimes I, I know, and we've, we've messed it up. We've made people think we're trying to jerk them around, tell them what to do and all of that. And, and, and I keep working on ways to say it. And really, I have. I've, I've tried to grow in how I present the gospel because people need to know it's not God that wants to jerk you around. It's cocaine that wants all your money, not the church. It's that addiction in your life that wants to jerk you around. It's that affair that you're trying to keep a secret. That's what's dominating your life. Don't ever get the impression that I need to quit church because I'm tired of people telling me what to do. You'll be like my brother who joined the Navy for the same reason. Really? He'd had enough. He showed us. I want to tell you, sin will make your life miserable. Man, many are the sorrows of the wicked. Sin doesn't want some of your money. It wants all of it. It doesn't want part of your life. It wants all of it. And then last of all, his righteousness. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all of you who are upright in heart. And how did we become righteous ones? He gave us his righteousness as a gift of grace. You know, I know I run that in the ground. I don't know anything better to run in the ground. That's the best news ever. Ever. You know, it's like somebody catches a big old fish and they just can't shut up about it. Man, I got something better than a big old fish, better than a huge deer. And you know, when they tell you about it, every time the deer gets bigger and the fish gets longer. I love it being... With one arm, it's handy when I say I caught a fish this long. I love telling people that God does not impute sin to us. That he counts us 100% righteous because he gave us his righteousness as a gift of grace. And every time I tell it, that righteousness gets bigger. And the joy gets longer. And I don't care. When you bury me, if you want to put anything on my tombstone, you can just put on there. This was the one preacher that wasn't shut up about God's gift of righteousness. That'd be just fine with me. I spent a lot of my Christian walk not knowing that. I spent a lot of years preaching the word. That scares me to death before I realized that. I was trying to clean myself up, helping other people clean themselves up. I 
was a mess. Man, I'm so thankful that God helped me to see in His Word. See in His Word that I am saved and that's never, ever going to change. Because He gave me His righteousness as a gift of grace. That's why He is so good. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.